welcome to Way to Live, the Holistic Wellbeing Podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Connolly, and this is episode eight. These past few weeks, I've been talking about our personal well-being and how to improve our health through diet, exercise, de-stressing, spending time with family and friends, and celebrating our accomplishments. Today, I wanted to shine a light on the health of our planet. We can think of the health of our planet through the quality of the air, water, natural landscapes, and elements, and energy produced. Human impact on the planet is also a key role in the health of our planet, in which we often reference climate change, the built environment, resources, materials, and waste. Before humans, Earth was mostly made up of nature, oceans, bodies of water, land, mountains, deserts, forests, and animals. Clearly, that's not the case anymore. When we think of our environments now, you'll likely picture man-made structures like buildings, plazas, cities, and urbanism with some glimpses of nature and animals. Because we occupy most of the land on the planet, there's been a significant emphasis on designing healthier buildings, neighborhoods, and communities. For nearly 30 years, an organization called LEAD has been a leader in the movement towards healthier, greener buildings and more sustainable design to enrich our lives and the health of our planet. My special guest today is Daniel Ramirez, LEAD Green Associate, Program Coordinator at Clear Result, and also my partner in crime. Daniel, thanks so much for jumping on board to do this interview. Hey, well, thanks for having me. Long time no see, and uh, I'm glad to get this going. All right. So can you please tell the audience who you are, what your professional background is, and what you do in the energy industry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Daniel. I'm a first-generation Mexican, a native Texan. I like to call myself a Texican. I was born and raised in Rio Grande Valley in a town called Brownsville, uh, the border by the sea, as it's known. My professional background is predominantly based in and around the environmental sector. In the past, I worked for environmental education and advocacy nonprofits, but I find myself currently working in the field of energy efficiency. Thanks, currently, Dune. <laughs> Dune has a little bit of input. Huh? <laughs> currently, I'm employed at Clear Result, a company that strives to change the way people use energy. In a nutshell, we make programs and initiatives that help reduce peak energy demand with uh, participating utility companies. As a program coordinator, I'm tasked to ensure projects to move along with accurate numbers such as savings and incentives. In large part, I process most of our data onto our proprietary system. So far, I'm learning a lot and I'm putting my knowledge to good practice. Awesome. And can you tell us about your journey through environmental science? Uh, how did it start? And what is your philosophy about it now? Sure. Having been raised in an area lush with nature and just a few miles away from the beach, I gained an appreciation for the planet's varied ecosystems. One thing that always grinded my gears was the idea of trading environmental protection for convenience. Fast forward a couple of years, I grew up, I'm at St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas, and as some college students may know, navigating through the right major is an uphill battle. 
Through my early years, I thought pre-law was the way I was going to go, but ultimately I decided to chase a bachelor's of science in environmental science and policy. Although this major was more rigorous and diverse in its course load, I really enjoyed it. The concept of planning ahead for future generations, the essence of sustainability, it just called to me. It sounded like something I wanted to do. And I want to consider myself, I guess nowadays, an environmental steward, a proponent of sustainable practices to protect our precious and finite natural resources. Well, knowing you now, I think that this definitely suits you better than, than law. I think so. <laughs> um, and how did you find out about LEAD and what inspired you to become a LEAD professional? Sure. So I stumbled onto the concept of LEAD here in uh, sunny Austin, Texas, as you'd call it, through my admiration of certain buildings, actually. Uh, I guess the most recent example I can give was the Austin Public Library. It just opened, I think, two or three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. It's a magnificent LEAD Platinum structure that really encapsulates the ideals and the goals of the rating system. So after college, I kind of had some trouble navigating through the vast waters of the job market. Kind of, you know, I had these skills and I didn't know what to do with them. And I decided it wouldn't hurt to invest in learning about the USGBC and its various branches. Awesome. And for those who aren't familiar with LEAD, can you describe what it is? Yeah, absolutely. The United States Green Building Council first introduced the LEAD rating system in 1998. And the leadership in energy and environmental design, or LEAD, boiled down to five simple categories, sustainable sites, water efficiency, energy and atmosphere, materials and resources, and indoor environmental quality. But it wasn't until 2009 that the LEAD Green Associate credential came to be, which it determines that a certificate's knowledge of the green design, construction, and operation is valid. The rest, as they say, is history. Now we live in a market with a demand for green building infrastructure and interior design. Having walked in on this legacy as a newcomer, I sort of immediately knew that I had to propel myself in this direction, not only to acquire more knowledge, but to grow outwardly into the human that I wanted to be. Pursuing lead helped me identify strategies to enhance individual and human health and well-being, reverse the contribution to global climate change, promote sustainability and a regenerative material resource cycle, and ultimately build a greener economy. Awesome. And uh, have you been able to put any of this uh, lead knowledge to use? Well, in my day-to-day -day job, unfortunately, I don't really do what a lead GA is set out to do, but rather I see it as a uh, tool in my Batman utility belt concepts, items, things of this nature, such as products. These are things that I kind of just start accumulating in my knowledge. And what I do get to practice seeing on my day-to-day -day are the bigger scope concepts of energy efficiency, which kind of do apply to lead in a sense. But as a constructor or builder kind of asset, I haven't been able to exercise that just yet. But coming soon. Oh, absolutely. Dot, dot, dot. Absolutely. So the goal of LEED is to rate buildings and certify greener buildings. Can you walk us through the rating concepts? Um, you've kind of described them already, but could you go a little bit more into depth about them in kind of the overall LEED process? Oh, I'd, I'd be happy to. 
So the modernized rating typically has eight general credit categories that determine the rating of a building. The more points you aggregate in each category directly produces your rating from low to high being bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. You know, everybody wants to get the platinum. So how do you get it? So the first category is uh, location and transportation. Its focus is on selecting sites with higher density areas with already existing infrastructure. Sites located in brownfields, avoiding sensitive habitats. But moreover, the focus of this credit is connecting the building with methods of alternative transportation and connections to amenities such as restaurants and parks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for example, having bike trails nearby, already established parks and, you know, just things that you can go frequent as you're in this building. That just makes it give you higher points. Mm -hmm. The second being sustainable sites. And the goal of this credit is to reduce environmental impacts through assessment, design, and site management. It emphasizes the relationship between the building and the environment it's in. Think of it that way. Your building gains points in this category by minimizing said impacts, hmm. such as managing rainwater runoff, reducing the heat island effect, or reducing light pollution. Some people don't take into consideration we do have nocturnal creatures, and if you have just a crazy lit building, this can, you know, completely change their sleep cycle, and, you know, you're not mm, helping the environment in any way like that. Mm -hmm. So that, that's something I didn't know, and I really, I really enjoyed learning about. The next is uh, water efficiency. I think it's really important in dry states like Texas and mm -hmm. California. This credit's aim is to limit the use of potable water and the reduction of the overall water usage in the building, which, you know, it makes sense. Points can be earned by installing water-efficient measures, reusing wastewater for non-potable needs, and incorporating methods that eliminate your regular usage. The fourth is energy and atmosphere. This is kind of where my professional experience kind of presides and it kind of intersects. This category emphasizes the optimization of energy. The building's performance uh, would be better used if you use renewable energy sources. You get more points for doing so anyways. Demand response programs, automation systems, and passive designs really go a long way. This kind of helps you accumulate more points in this area. But ultimately, the emphasis of this category is to offset carbon emissions by reducing a building's footprint, which I feel like we could all get behind. So it's mm -hmm. a good cause. And the next category is materials and resources, wherein the focus is reducing the resource depletion by diverging waste from landfills and using sustainable building materials. Points can be earned by using localized or reused materials, which kind of reminds me when we did the creative yeah, reuse projects. That, mm, that was yeah. really cool, being able to work with uh, several organizations that emphasize, hey, you can reuse I don't know, what was something that we saw a lot, like shingles and, mm -hmm. and, and paint samples. So this stuff doesn't ju just have to go to waste. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tile, anything yeah. it may be. Zero landfill event. Yeah, zero landfill. Mm -hmm. little, little shout out. The seventh category uh, being indoor environmental quality. It addresses air quality, temperature, lighting quality, and acoustic design. This category is interesting because it establishes a direct relationship between the building and the occupant's health. And I'm pretty sure that with your expertise and experience, you have a lot to say about this one, Chels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of what you have talked about already, there's a lot of synergies between lead and well, which I am a, 
an accredited professional in um, through well certification and Daniel's a lead GA. So um, we often find ourselves talking about similar concepts and uh, how they interconnect and relate to the built environment. Yeah, right on. As they say, great minds think alike. <laughs> and the last two credits are innovation and regional priority. These are kind of the more lesser known ones to the average kind of unknown nowhere un person who doesn't know leads. Sorry, getting tied. <laughs> So the innovation is a really cool accredited point because it offers alternative points that can be given free reign to develop sustainable practices and strategies that aren't covered in the general categories. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a wild card. Yeah. You kind of come up with a strategy that isn't implemented by mm -hmm. lead already, and you could just get some extra points there. Yeah. Um, I think that is the most creative one to delve into mm -hmm. just because you have to think outside of the literal box. Mm -hmm. Lastly, the regional priority category directs the focus of a project team to the most important environmental issues identified as affecting a particular area. So if you can use your building for the betterment of your direct environment, you're awarded more points in the end. So like I mentioned earlier, dry states have the problem of, you know, water usage and, you know, we just have a lot of heat effect, heat mm -hmm. island effect, excuse me. So if you can directly assess those problems that you're building, you're going to get even more points. And that's, you know, when you're aiming for platinum, there's so many points that you can catch. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you want, to get, you want to get the most points that you can in each category. It helps you get a better rating mm -hmm. and the better rating, a more lucrative kind of benefits that you get. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, just seeing that public library it's really cool that it has such a cool space yeah i know mm -hmm. it's so beautiful too yeah. i think what's so interesting about that building is that regardless knowing that it's lead platinum you walk in and you're instantly like wow like there's yeah. so much that went into planning this building mm -hmm. uh, i don't remember where i read it but it is one of the most well naturally lit buildings in I the united it. states mm -hmm. i mean i mean just look at it yeah. from from the early a.m to midday it's just like it's just well lit the fact that it's like five floors and there's a huge right. atrium um the staircase from the first level right. to the fifth level um it's a beautiful building so yeah. no i agree i agree yeah, it definitely deserves the platinum and it has those little details that just mm -hmm. it, it would surprise you i learn i learn something new every time i go into that building mm -hmm. not only is it beautiful but it also helps the planet and that's kind of the overall right concept behind lead is to have more sustainable buildings but doing it in a you know pleasing um aesthetically pleasing way that's that's so. the whole package if you ask me <laughs> okay so you you've gone over the concepts which um i appreciate and you've talked a little bit about some strategies within each concept um can we dive a little deeper um with these strategies and how a building can what a building can do to achieve certification in each concept that's actually a great question so for example you can earn points in the water efficiency category by using sink water in your toilets that's something that the library does here in austin that i uh i never really thought about growing up so basically once you're done using sink water you're not going to drink it you're not going to you know irrigate your lawn with it because it has soap but what can you do with it you can just kind of redirect it back to toilets mm -hmm. and there you go it's like a second life for that water 
reusable. You, yeah, exactly. And um, in the same kind of vein, you can collect rainwater to irrigate. That's something that I feel like is starting to become a little bit more prominent in our society. And uh, one thing that is one of my favorite implementations are skylights that take advantage of sunlight to illuminate an interior. Uh, when I went to see Bill Nye have his uh, book release, he was showing us pictures of his house that had these like interesting magnifying glass kind of windows on his ceiling slash roof where i mean throughout several hours of the day just natural sunlight would be illuminated down into the building mm -hmm. so i always thought that was so cool and it's completely passive design you just kind of take advantage of the resources that are already there mm -hmm. and you know as the old adage goes location 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 what are the biggest aspects of lead is site assessment and the overall critical planning prior to building you can get a lot of points with this and they're just up there for free grabs you just got to find the right place and the right space mm -hmm. so i mean the austin public library scored some really unique innovation points by placing a butterfly or pollinator garden up in its sky deck it's so nice because you just go up to the fifth floor you go outside on their balcony and they just have butterflies mm -hmm. flying around it's yeah it's, it's awesome it's like heaven it's great and um well i think one also portion of this about the location category is uh if you find derelict buildings it's a great way to start off on the right foot if you're thinking about going for a lead mm -hmm. certification on a building this also reminds me of uh your ranch Oh yeah. Yeah, location, 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 location. I mean, yeah, you just gotta you gotta find the right place. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so out of all of the concepts, do you gravitate towards one over the other? That's a that's a great question too. And why? I mean, I'd have to I definitely have to lean a little bit more towards energy and atmosphere, being since my work directly relates to the category. And uh simply put. I see devices and programs on a day-to-day -day basis that would give me building points in this area. But ultimately, you can start really small with little investments to save your energy consumption, or you can go big and dedicate lots of funds to save tons of energy and, and money in the long run. But I think what's cool about energy efficiency is that idea that you really, it, it can be free. It's just a matter of, you know, critical thinking and analyzing what you do on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis to yeah. huge investments. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, talking about lead and all the concepts that come along with it, I, I know that you're focused on, you know, our planet's health and the quality of our built environment. Are there other aspects of health and well-being that resonate with you most? All right. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to get brownie <laughs> points or anything, but something I learned from you actually the concepts that well brings to the building in direct relation to human health, they're so interesting. Implementing stairwells or biophilia and other strategies that enrich the human experience are crucial in today's environment. Mm -hmm. I feel like growing up in a world pre all of these concepts, buildings are kind of like cookie cutter. They're all kind of looking the same. You got your same run of the mill, you know, X, Y, Z, but once these categories kind of start flowing in the built environment, I feel like you start seeing variables in buildings that help your human health. You know, you can add stairwells and lighting to help fitness. You can add biophilia to just kind of help that inward naturist spirit that we all have to make a building just resonate more in someone's mind. 
And I mean, ultimately, that's what you want a building to accomplish. You want to walk into somewhere and leave with an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least that's what I would do if I was building something. You, you kind of um, kind of need both, right? Like I, I, I love lead and I love well, both for different reasons. And I think the beauty in those two concepts is to um, combine them to have, you know, the golden egg of a yeah. building. Yeah. Um, so LEAD is obviously focused on um, the health of our planet, sustainability, and like, you know, building operations and systems and things like that. But the WELL um, concept is more about the human experience. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we're going to enter a building and experience the building. And what is that building doing to enhance our well-being as an occupant? Um, so I just think that you know, one isn't better than the other. I think they, they go hand in hand. They should go hand in hand when we design spaces. Um, and so I think the future of design, especially like post COVID and everything, um, is there's a huge emphasis on well, but also lead. Um, and so I think it's, you know, awesome times that we're heading into. I think there's a, a space for both lead and well to exist. I agree. I feel like the intersectionality of what we do, it, it just meshes so well that it's just no so, pun intended. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I feel like what you've studied and I've studied, it just meshes so, mm-hmm. so well, like seamlessly. And I do think that we need to see more buildings like this just because in the long run, not only are they, helping to establish a greener economy i think in a more altruistic kind of viewpoint we're going to see buildings that actually help the environment mm-hmm. and help the people in them yeah so i mean that's like what's not to love that's good stuff if you ask me <laughs> <laughs> that is good stuff um okay i think i have a couple more questions for you so for my listeners who aren't well versed in sustainability uh, what are some quick and easy ways for people to improve the health of our planet that you would recommend to them? That's a, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, always keep in mind the easiest changes we can make are also the most cost effective. It kind of all starts with knowledge. You know, you got to understand how much energy you spend by comparing your electric bills. Uh, I think they call it the Prius effect. When you Mm. are seeing how much you use, Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of referred back to the Prius because it was like one of the first cars that um, you can see where your energy is coming from, what your output is. And I love the dashboard on your car. Yeah, yeah, Um, exactly. Your hybrid, it shows kind of like the energy um, consumption and like what's, how would you describe that? I mean, it's it's also a Toyota. It's mm-hmm. not a Prius, but it's a, it's a Forerunner. It's a it's a Forerunner. It's a Rav Four, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, inspired by your Rav Four, <laughs> uh, just you know, a few decades. Yeah. In separation, yeah. but just a few. It's just a few, <laughs> and I think what's what the whole overarching point is is that if you can see what you're spending in terms of energy output, you can directly change that and mm-hmm. you'll see like, okay, I'm using less energy. Now. Yeah. The more that you're aware of it. You're right. And that kind of sums up the previous effect where, you know, if you're seeing what you're wasting, you're more likely to change that habit. And I think, you know, kind of going back to your question, if you're not too well versed in sustainability, what can you do? It's just kind of uh, realize what you're spending, right? I had, I had this project in my, uh, I think it was, I was a sophomore in college my professor 
he told me that we were going to do this assignment where we had to calculate how much energy we would spend, how much water we would waste, and how much uh, trash we would accumulate in a week. And each week, it would get more and more stringent. Mm. And um, as I was, you know, calculating how many minutes I spent in the shower, how many flushes of the toilet I did in a day, how much time the light was on, how many kind of scraps of trash, organic mm -hmm. and recyclable I would accumulate, you kind of start having that Prius effect where you're noticing, hey, like I'm using too much of this. I'm spending too much do time doing that. So that's I think, awesome. yeah, I think that's the best yeah. way to change your habits. It's to gauge them and measure them. And I mean, you can't go wrong. Uh, even, even if you're a professional environmentalist or, you know, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> if you're an avid sustainability advocate, it's always good to measure what you're outputting because at the end of the day, we're all systems and just making systems more efficient mm -hmm. is better. Mm -hmm. Um, but lastly, I kind of feel like it's kind of ridiculous saying it, stop and smell the flowers, right? Sometimes it takes a little bit of appreciation to really put into perspective the things that you do. So trust me, stop, look around every mm -hmm. once in a while, you'll see plenty of things worth saving. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good closure. Um, okay. And for my last question. Do you have any other advice for those interested in a more sustainable lifestyle? Yeah, no, you should get more involved in community gardens. Uh, going through COVID-19, I saw what a mess basically was wrought on the food supply. It got me thinking our, lo or our local food sources <laughs> need reinforcement. Uh -huh. Try and find a community garden in your city that you can use uh, to help you know mm -hmm. if not maybe look into starting one yeah or support your uh, your local farmers oh, yeah. market or Absolutely. yeah yeah i mean the benefits are twofold of both right you like not only reinforce your localized food supply and local economy but you help with carbon sequestration and you know the more you plant and the more that mm -hmm. you're recycling soil you just uh, reduce on packaging exactly yeah. you, make, you just make a healthier environment for said plants better nutrients and um yeah, it was weird. Um, uh, not only kind of seeing how just kind of like a sudden rush of COVID or coronavirus, how it basically just, it really helped, like it kind of narrowed down how we get our food. Mm -hmm. And it's really strange because you don't want to be left to your own devices at you know out of nowhere say mm -hmm. we go into this post-apocalyptic future yeah. where, where are you getting your food from yeah right mm -hmm. are we going to be like matt damon in uh, the Martian are you going to be de dependent yeah, right. on these these you know yeah, retailers right. like, and stores is, and... yeah take into take into consideration what your food chain is like where you fit in it like how how do you get your food mm -hmm. that's an that's an excellent question to get people starting to think about the sustainability kind of conversation like what if essential stores like the grocery right, store right. couldn't be open to the public no yeah i mean we i think we saw a lot of that come march and april when the the panic was really mm -hmm. hitting the fan and i think ultimately question right always question where you get your things how they get there and um always try to make things better because it's not just for the benefit of you and the people around you. But I think honestly, we do this for the benefit of people of future generations, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I like, um, I like the term environmental stewards because we are here not only to protect what we have, mm -hmm. but to leave a more sustainable and equitable future for those who aren't mm -hmm. here yet. Yeah. 
to uh, make it a brighter future. Yeah, so. exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Dune, my dog is getting a little antsy. He no, it's is my in, pleasure. He's in my studio Thanks right now. Thanks for having me. I think it's time to take this boy on a walk. What do you I say, Dune? I think so. Time for a walk. Yeah. Oh, the look that we're getting. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's doing this weird thing with his <laughs> Well, thank you so much, and uh, I hope you guys all have a great – oh, June says, I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Chelsea Connolly, wishing you a healthier and happier way to live. <laughs>